Hello, and welcome to the second episode in my Life, Death, and Meaning podcast series. This one is on death, and it was a great conversation, I think largely because of my fabulous guest, who is my best friend, Lindsay Nissenbaum. Um, Yeah, this was a super fun conversation. I think that we were able to kind of get into perspectives that I hadn't considered, some of the concepts in class that I feel like I personally brushed over a little bit, we definitely got more into. It's been making me think about death in a very different way. And yeah, I think I was really pleased with the way this conversation went. Um, The only disclaimer I will give is that as I'm editing it, I can hear there are a lot of dog noises. Um, Both of her dogs were on a bed with us while we recorded this. And so there's a little bit of like sniffing in the background, so I apologize for that. But I think that despite those slight interruptions, you'll enjoy this conversation and I hope you enjoy Lindsay. Hi, Professor Partridge. Um, This is the second episode in my podcast series on life, death, and meaning. This is the episode on death where I'm talking to my friend, Lindsay. Arguably my best friend, Lindsay. Arguably. Professor <laughs> Project, I am her best friend. Okay, so my... Of life. Yeah. And hopefully death. <laughs> and death. So, Lindsay. Yes, yes. Maybe you should give us okay. some background about just, like, like who are who you? Like, background on your stance. Of my stance on death? Well, just give us, like, some facts about, yeah, like, us just so, to inform the listener. Okay, listener, dear listener, my name is Lindsay, I have known Gia for, um, almost 10 years at this point, Mm -hmm. a little bit shy, um, we've been very close friends for a long time, um, I am... Two years her senior. I go to Tulane, but I'm also from New York. Um, I, relevant to this podcast, I've had a near death experience, so I think that is qualified <laughs> me to speak on the subject um, in the least morbid way possible. But yeah, that's my background. Yeah. So before we start talking about death in like a philosophical context, just like when I say like death what are you thinking are you scared of it are you so what do i think of when you say death another day had you not prepared me for this conversation (laughs) i would be scared when i was little i had a very very irrational fear of death and um i guess dying prematurely um But I go back and forth. I think when I was little, it was a lot harder for me to talk about because I was so scared. Mostly because I was scared of not knowing what happens to you after you die. But something I've learned to suppress a little bit. Um, Probably for the better as I've gotten older to become less afraid. Yeah, I think I'm definitely afraid of death but something that hopefully we'll talk about is like the distinction between death dying and being dead yes because <laughs> like which part are you actually afraid yeah, of that's a great distinction yeah 
But basically, the context for this conversation, which you know, is that we're talking about death where there is no afterlife, just yes. for philosophical reasons, because everything needs to be very clear cut when you're talking about it. Okay. And the idea of like, oh, but what if there's an afterlife? It it doesn't allow us to talk about death as like clear cut. As an instance. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So... I guess the first kind of like take I'll just kind of like pose to you and I want you to just tell me like how you feel about it is are you familiar with Epicurus at all? No, I'm not. Actually, like Epicurean philosophy? No. I know the name. I read on it once and I don't remember anything about yeah, it. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not familiar. <laughs> that's fine. So basically this guy Epicurus the take I'm about to tell you is kind of the foundation for all the reading we did on death in this semester. And I'll read this quote. It says, quote, So death, the most terrifying of ills, is nothing to us, since so long as we exist, death is not with us, and when death comes, then we do not exist. It, com- it does not then concern either the living or the dead, since for the former it is not, and the latter no more. Basically, wow. yeah, what he's saying is just, when you're alive, you're not dead. So it can't concern you. (laughs) And when you're dead, you are dead. So it can't concern you. Yes. Yeah. How how do you feel about that? Um, I'm strangely comforted by it. And at the same time, I'm absolutely terrified by it. And I think Mm -hmm. in the context of not imagining an afterlife, holding that constant, I think that's why I find it terrifying, but it's very comforting for that exact same reason, wherein if there's no way to perceive that you are dead, then how can you possibly be afraid of something, if that makes sense? Right. Kind of in the way that, I mean, he's being very point blank, which is very comforting because it's very factual, and I think a lot of people find comfort in fact. But a lot of people can't find emotion, in fact, either, which is why it becomes scary. Right. Well, I mean, I would say it's pretty, like, widely understood. Like, you can't really fear being dead. Like, the second part of his argument kind of works because once you're dead, you're not really concerned with being dead anymore. Yes. Right? In this instance, right, we don't have an afterlife. So it's just a state of nothingness. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you're not concerned. But, like, the first part of the argument where he says we shouldn't be concerned about death because it hasn't happened to us yet, Mm -hmm. right? That's the part, obviously, that we can, like, kind of dig into. Yeah. Because I'm sure in your experience, that is not how you feel about death. No. I think, actually, now that I'm thinking more about it, it's really what I think a lot of people spend so much time fearing is not knowing. And it comes down to the fact that you literally never know when you are going to die, when Mm -hmm. the people around you are going to die, Mm -hmm. and you are never going to be aware of the fact that you are dead because you are dead. Right. Which is scary. (laughs) Right. And I think also that part when, and this might be crossing the line of maybe into an afterlife, but also the fact that you can never really prove if what you are experiencing is reality versus dream is something that I think about very frequently. And especially because I did almost die once every now and then I'm like, 
is this? Am I in the am I in the afterlife already and I just don't know it? Oh or is goodness. this my reality? And what even is real? So that's something. <laughs> that oh my god. Yeah. Me. Fit that in a half hour podcast exactly. for sure. Oh my god. But yeah, I think that's what a lot of people spend so much time being concerned about is just not knowing. Yeah. Because you won't know until you get there. And then when you get there, you won't know it because right. you'll be dead. Right. Well, an interesting thing about like the Epicurus's account, which is what I just told you about, is that he's not just making an argument that like we shouldn't be concerned about death, but he's also making an argument that death cannot harm us. Yes. Because of, like, it's the same reasoning. Because when you're alive, you're not dead. So yes. you can't be harmed. And once you're dead... Okay. The ultimate harm has been done to you already. Exactly. you cannot be harmed by it anymore. Right. So what do you think about that? About just the broad concept of, like, death can't harm you at all? Um, I think... Well, I think... Here's the thing is a lot... If you're removing the whole afterlife question death cannot harm your spirit like your spirit your soul because death is really only something that happens to the physical body when your cells stop functioning right but it also like your death like nobody to me nobody ever really dies until the last person who remembers them dies which is something that I find a lot of comfort in and I think even like people I know who have passed away like they're not dead like they still exist in everybody who knows them their memory and stuff Mm -hmm. which is nice so I don't think I think death then is secondarily harmful because then the more people die the more people's souls and memories die too right but at the same time if you're only talking about physical harm, then once you've well, been hurt and you die, then no more harm can really come to you. Right. Well, I actually, there's a great concept that fits very well into our conversation, which is, so there's this guy called George Pitcher. Now you can forget his name. Okay. And he basically says, his argument is that dead people can be harmed. Okay. And the way that he argues it is that there's a there's an anti-mortem self and a post-mortem self. Okay. Your post-mortem self is you once you're dead. Okay. Right? So basically doesn't exist. He thinks that that dead version of you, like, if I'm saying, like, if I'm talking about my friend John who died, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, John's dead now. Hope he's having fun up there. Yeah. That person cannot be harmed. But if I, for example, said to you, like, oh, did you know that John was a criminal? right like living okay. john if okay. i start spreading rumors about living john uh-huh. or talking badly about living john even mm-hmm. though he's dead mm-hmm. that his anti-mortem self yes the version of him that still lives in our memories mm-hmm. can be harmed sure so is that a little bit what you were talking about um i get how that makes sense and i think that also kind of brings into the whole like like when you can sue somebody for a libel <laughs> sort of situation because you're like you can say whatever you want about dead people because they have no way of contesting it because they're dead but I think it's kind of like 
I don't know, like, if you found out something horrible about somebody that you know who died, and then that, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that that really does any harm to the dead person, because they're not, they're not there to hear that, they're not there to listen to it, and it only really harms the person who holds the opinion, like, if they want to choose to, like, tarnish the memory of the person, Mm -hmm. like, I don't no like no yeah <laughs> i think that right. george butcher is a little wrong i think yeah <laughs> that doesn't really matter because i mean as much as you want to care about the well people's well-being <laughs> if they're dead it doesn't really matter what they think or how they feel because they they're are dead. no longer capable right. of thinking or feeling right unless and that's all on the precedent that there is no afterlife and that they're not going to come back to haunt you for right <laughs> of course yeah well, like, a big thing that comes up time and time again when we talk about death and philosophy is, like, the metaphysics of person, yes. which is basically, like, what is a person? Yes. You know, like, is a person a bundle of desires? Is a person a bunch of different qualities? You know, like, is a person their legacy? Like, what makes up a person? And then once you figure that out, it's like, well, then what can actually harm that? Yes. So, like, I know that's a big question, but, like, in whatever brief time you can think about it like what do you think your metaphysics of person might be um i think for me the metaphysics of person what makes up a person is any body Mm -hmm. so animals included in that as i look at my dog (laughs) um that is capable of um emotional reaction to something Mm-hmm. So, and, because, I don't know, I think that anything that can respond in a way that's more than just, like, a natural reaction to something, or anything that's really capable of emotion, mm-hmm. which is, like, why I always say, like, oh, my dog, Ivy, is a people person. She loves getting attention from people. She gets sad. She's smart. Um, right. And so I think that goes beyond, so anything that, because, I don't know, I think, just the way that I think is that people, both human and non-human, are capable, and also physical and not physical, because I do believe in afterlife, but anything that's sort of, like, capable of influencing the emotions of others and having control over their own emotions. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, people are emotions, the metaphysics of people comes down to emotion. Right. I mean, I think it sounds a little bit when you talk about emotion, like we can construe emotion and feel free to disagree with me as like the fulfillment or not of our desires in some ways. Like, you know, I feel happy if I get the things that I desire to be happy or Mm -hmm. if I don't get those, I might feel sad or angry or whatever. Mm -hmm. So then do you think that say we had a person named Molly Mm -hmm. and like Molly had this desire right that once she died her business that she passed down to her children would continue to flourish under their family name Mm -hmm. and all would be well so do you think that if as soon as Molly died her children immediately sold the business or like flipped the business for money or whatever Mm -hmm. liquefied it do you think that in some way could cause harm to Molly Under the assumption that we do have an afterlife, yes. 
mm-hmm. under the assumption that we don't have an afterlife, no. Right. But I do think that even if there is no afterlife, Molly's children would still assume some sort of guilt mm-hmm. or some sort of emotion related to the liquefaction of their mother's business. Right. And so Molly, as an emotional being, would still continue because she's able to... The thought of what her living self wants would mm-hmm. affect her children in some capacity. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a, co- there's a like, kind of a theory which is pretty complicated, but it's called backward causation. And basically, it just talks about kind of what you were saying, like how something can happen sort of from like beyond the grave. Yeah. Like, you know, that can cause ripple effects back yeah. into our living well, it's lives. exactly where it's like, oh, well, what would she, what would she want? It's like right. that sort of thinking of whatever your dead relative would want from <laughs> you is what you're going to do because it would actually be what their living self would have wanted you to do. Their which anti-mortem is why people, self. Yes. Yeah. Which is what why people put stuff in their will and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or sign a DNR. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, yeah, there's a distinction. I don't know how helpful it'll be in this instance, but between dependent desires, which are dependent on your life and your ability to live, <laughs> um, and independent desires, like, I don't know, I think, like, kind of a funny example of <laughs> a, a dependent desire would be, like, I wish, and, like, my desire is that the sun rises every morning and sets every night, mm-hmm. you know, but, like, or actually, that would be an independent desire, because it doesn't matter if you're alive or not, but, mm-hmm. like, then, like, the Molly instance would be a dependent desire, mm-hmm. so, but that probably doesn't really change your stance on, like, the distinction between, like, there are some desires which you want to happen no matter what, and there are some that are contingent on your life it's like if me having children i would want my children to have children regardless of if i'm around right but if i said no if i die i don't want my children to have children that's a dependent yeah yeah there is like kind of a funny example someone was arguing in opposition to the original epicurean thing that i posed to you which is that death cannot be harmful to us at all Mm -hmm. And it it was the case of, like, the Epicurean mother who didn't make a will for her children. (laughs) And, like, just, like, like, would literally feel no emotion over, like, getting crushed by a semi-truck or something like that. Because death is, like, cannot be a harm and would, like, not be, like, be an anti-vaxxer and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, Which I feel like is a mischaracterization of Epicureanism, but, like... It's it's kind of funny. Like it you're kind of right in that sense. So like we kind of went over like two major oppositions to the Epicurean account and you kind of like me are like, yeah, I don't really buy it. Like the whole like anti-mortem self is like all well and good and there are nuances, but ultimately you're still dead. Like yeah. there's still not a <laughs> At person. The end of the day, yeah. Your physical form ceases to exist. Yeah. Um but there is another, like, there's kind of, like, a third option which got, got proposed to us at the end of the semester. And it's, like, they called it, like, neo-epicureanism. Okay. This one guy proposed it. And basically, the idea is that 
you're still not really like you're still kind of understanding that death you're understanding death as something that can't really harm you mm-hmm. in the ways that we've been talking about but you are considering the fact that it will have like ripple effects mm-hmm. so the idea is that as you get older you're trying to make your desires as non-intrusive as possible to the people around you does that make sense yes so you're trying to kind of edit your desires so that it becomes more and more manageable for other people to handle Mm -hmm. as you get older and older Mm -hmm. what do you think about that i think that makes a lot of sense i think Mm -hmm. because like as a society we're kind of conditioned to be okay with the passing of older people mm-hmm. and i think that kind of comes down to like why like family and support systems are so necessary mm-hmm. so it's like when people like the elders of a family pass away it's okay because the responsibility to maintain the family has already been passed on to the descendants of the elders whereas like if like somebody i mean for example my aunt passed away when she was like 40 ish Mm -hmm. and she was survived by her parents so that's really difficult and also her husband my uncle had to like figure out a lot of like what was going to happen to their child and their house and like lots of stuff so it's very much difficult when somebody you feel like their life hasn't really been played out per se Mm -hmm. so it's hard to leave behind stuff when you're kind of still fully responsible for your own life and your own journey and like people like we're so used to like old people dying like once they have retired and Mm -hmm. like they have such little responsibility left or things to take care of and when that's why I feel like it's a lot easier to cope with the loss of elders because it's like oh they had such a long beautiful life blah 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 blah. like Mm -hmm. look at all that they did but then the closer you get to or the farther you get from old age like the younger people die the mm-hmm. why it turns into more like a tragedy or but then you get to the point where like when you're losing children like it's terrible when right. somebody who's like a child hasn't had the chance to like grow up and that's been taken from them in death but they also had no responsibility and it's just right. a weight for everybody older of them right which is why death can be death harms us but not the dead if that makes sense yeah i mean there's definitely there are more like kind of simplistic arguments that are like well it's called like the deprivation account where death is like death equals bad because you could have lived more life Mm -hmm. but you didn't yes right and like kind of like we discussed like i i still don't think that's like a direct harm to the person like to the dead person but but, then that's also talking about quality of life where it's like if somebody is going to continue living but at what cost Mm -hmm. it's like when you put your dog down when it's eight years old and (laughs) it wasn't really gonna live that much longer anyway and it probably would have been a more expensive to do a surgery to keep it alive for longer Mm -hmm. and it probably would have been miserable or in pain and then that's when you talk about the ethics of cutting it right the (laughs) ethics of cutting it it. yeah yeah i mean so it seems like death is 
honestly more of a burden to the people surrounding the dead person yes yeah like like you said it was an interesting point that like kind of the further away you get from the anticipated time of death the more and more it becomes a problem sort of for everyone else that's kind of an insensitive way to put it but it's sort of true it is yeah because that like it impacts the people's lives around us more and stuff like that yes yeah so do you think that i don't know when you die right Mm -hmm. like i know it's hard because you're just 21 years old (laughs) you don't have like (laughs) you have a family obviously (laughs) you don't have a family um well you i mean i don't know i don't know if you're gonna have kids if you're gonna get married who knows about all that right but (laughs) i die tomorrow i won't right (laughs) (laughs) but in theory right like when you get to that age imagine that whether or not it's kids and a significant other it's people that care about you right Mm -hmm. and you have like a whole life like do you think that you're gonna be more concerned about your own death or the effects of your death on other people when i grow up quote unquote i mean if you want to think about it now at this point i would be less concerned Mm -hmm. because i have nobody who's really dependent on me Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and i've heard from every parent that i've ever met that once you become a parent your whole perspective on your own life changes so I think, yes, obviously, everybody who cares about me now would be pretty upset if I just mm-hmm. didn't wake up tomorrow, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I think as you get older and you assume more responsibility, then you kind of you think about your own life in a little bit of a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I mean, I would hope that everybody who knows me well enough to know me wouldn't spend that much time being sad about me right dying because i feel like if anybody who truly knows me very well knows that i don't like spending time feeling negative emotions mm-hmm. i think i am kind of famously a very positive person mm-hmm. <laughs> even though that does sometimes end up being to my detriment but i would like to think that people would spend a very appropriate time being sad about my passing and then be like she wouldn't want us to be sad she would want us to keep talking about her obviously because she loves to be talked about she loves to pay attention but I think I would hope that they would just continue to celebrate me and think about me and talk about me and not miss me too much and know that because I believe in an afterlife hopefully I will find them Mm -hmm. in my non-physical self and i if that is the case i will come back to them and i plan on it so they wouldn't be able to miss me too much because i wouldn't even really have left in the first place (laughs) so (laughs) that would be what i would think and i would hope that that would only grow more prominent as i get older Mm -hmm. and eventually when i do have kids and other loved ones who survived me that they would understand that too right do you think that there's like a super big distinction between people that are dependent on you and people that are just like maybe i don't know like 
a friend or an acquaintance um, when it comes yeah, to death? Yeah, I think. I mean, honestly, I don't think anybody really is dependent on me right now. I mm-hmm. feel like I'm not in really any sort of codependent relationship. I'm not financially responsible for anybody for myself. I would hope that nobody depends on me for their happiness. Mm-hmm. Especially because I can't even really give you an example of who that might be. <laughs> I mean, I know obviously my parents would be devastated if I died very yeah, soon. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, that would change obviously when I do have dependence. And I think that's why that word exists anyway. Like mm-hmm. people who depend on you. Um, but I think there would be a difference. But there are no people like that to me right now. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, speak now or forever hold your peace, you know? <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. But, yeah. There probably, there will be people like that. They will be my children, but they don't exist yet. They don't exist So we don't have to yet. worry about them. Yeah, true. They have not been born. They, yes. <laughs> whatever you yeah. want to flip. Well, no harm is done to them. <laughs> since since we're here, and I was explicitly not going to talk about this because, Life. no, <laughs> but close. I was not going to talk about this because it is a very difficult concept and I'm not going to actually fully get into it. But there's this thing called the Lucretian symmetry problem. Okay. And basically the idea is that we are, we don't regret or we don't have any like opinion on the time that existed before we were born yes so why would be why would we be upset over the time after we die why aren't those times of non-existence the same that's the problem in life we invest in things that will survive us so of course we have the right to be upset of things that happen after us Mm -hmm. but only to a certain extent i think just as you can't really be upset about how the world worked before you existed. You can't be upset about how the world worked after you existed, but you can be upset about how the people you know who are surviving you are going to act after the fact, or if anybody's going to tarnish your memory. Right. You can be upset about that, even though you won't be there to be the judge of if you're being harmed or not. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, no, it does. It's One of the... Energy expenditures... <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. one of the answers to that problem is, like, they use these conceptions of people that are, they call them thick and thin people, oh <laughs> and basically it just means that, like, a thin person is a non-developed person, yeah. so, like, you can think, like, you can think, like, an infant, or you can just think of a philosopher considering a person that doesn't have all these desires and interests and yeah. stuff. And, like, thinking about the time before you were alive is obviously different than thinking about the time after you die because mm-hmm. you have all of these factors. Yeah. Like, I think one of the biggest, like, points that have come up in this conversation that we talked about in class is, like, the anti-mortem self mm-hmm. and the fact that there is, like, a really strange connection, even if it's not one that can cause actual harm, between the anti-mortem self and the dependents that are thinking about it or the people around the anti-mortem self that are thinking about it and the post-mortem self who's dead. Mm-hmm. So, any last thoughts about death? 
now that you've had this convo, are you thinking about anything differently? Or are you like, you know what? I came in this with ideas and I left even fortified in those same ideas. I think I came in with an idea of what I was going to be asked and talked about, talking about. But I didn't actually speak on a lot of those things, which is fine. Um, but I think my perspective has changed a little bit in that maybe now I am a little bit less afraid of death. Mm -hmm. But it is really, I think I've identified my fear, which is probably a common fear of the unknown. Of the unknown. And the unknown specifically being of like the timestamp. Mm -hmm. You never know. Right. And then Imagine. I guess the last question that I'll probably ask each of my three participants is if you were Professor Partridge yes. and you were grading me on this project, <laughs> do you think that this is more of like an A-plus piece of work or like an A piece of work? Obviously an A-plus because I am an A. Right. And awesome. you deserve an A for creating. Thank you, Lindsay. Um... That is a great combo on death. Yes. I'm glad that I picked you for death. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Good recording. Good recording. Bye. All right. So, I hope you enjoyed that conversation and welcome to the fact check. I think that for the most part, actually, in this episode, there isn't a lot to fact check. But I did want to say something about my usage of, well, my characterization of Lucretian symmetry problem because when I started talking about this, I obviously did review everything we talked about um, in the death unit. And when I got to the Lucretian symmetry problem, I thought to myself, okay, I can either try and talk through the entire thing with her and I can make it a big part of our conversation, or I can spend most of the conversation kind of focusing on the more major things we talked about throughout the semester, and I decided that it would be best for me not to talk about the Lucretian symmetry problem for time's sake. But I knew that it was going to happen. I knew that I would try and do it anyway. Um, and as expected, I sort of messed up. But so I wanted to come here and basically just clarify. I did mischaracterize it, um, particularly because I used the conception of thick and thin people um, in kind of like a casual way, um, I think to describe the sort of, I think to describe like infancy versus like a whole person, however, I realized that the way the argument is actually made by Kaufman is that we could not be the same person had we been born earlier. Um, and to think that we could would be using a thin conception of a person versus a thick conception. So I will say I did mess it up a little bit. Um, after I knew when I talked about it, I was like, that can't be right. So I went back, I reviewed it again, and I left it in the episode because I think that I wanted to kind of show that like I am trying to engage with all the material I can. If I think that I've made a mistake, I'm definitely going to put it in the fact check, but um, I'm actually pretty glad that that gave me an opportunity to 
sort of take a stab at something and then reflect back later and be like, you know what? I don't think that, I don't quite think that that went the way I wanted. But regardless, um, I don't think that hindered the conversation in any way. And I think it was really great despite that. So I hope you enjoyed it and get looking forward to the next episode on immortality. Bye.